Welcome to the Salmon Poetry Podcast. Salmon Poetry is an Irish publisher based in Ennis Diamond, County Clare, home to our bookshop and literary centre. You can find our titles and new projects on www.salmonpoetry.com. Salmon Poetry is supported by the Arts Council of Ireland. Uh, hello, um, my name is Edward O'Dwyer and going to read a few poems for you now uh, and they all come from my latest collection with salmon poetry um, by the name of exquisite prisons the first poem i'm going to read for you is a poem that i wrote for poetry ireland for their poetry town uh, initiative um, so i was the poet laureate of adair in county limerick and not being from adair i had to kind of well write about a dare and figure out what my connection to the place was. But as it happened, um, I did have a, an unusual but strong connection to a dare. Uh, my good friend, Joe Sweeney, who'd recently passed away uh, during lockdown, um, he loved a dare um, and he was living in Blarney. So any chance he got to come to a dare, uh, he would be there. And he always stayed at the same uh, B&B. And that's where I always met him and we'd hang out there for the day. So this is the poem I wrote. It's called, We'd Meet in a Dare, But Won't Anymore. We'd meet in a dare, but won't anymore, for Joe has died. Now he is a ghost at my side by the banks of the Meg. I'd have to imagine the poems he'd quote perfectly from. I must imagine every lilt and swing and rhythm of his voice. Now he is a ghost at my side by the banks of the Meg. The Earls of Dunraven all died, everyone dies, now Joe has. I must imagine every lilt and swing and rhythm of his voice, for Joe is a ghost now, sipping ghost tea in the good room. The Earls of Dunraven all died, everyone dies, now Joe has. We saw a crow drop dead once from the air by chalks. For Joe is a ghost now, sipping ghost tea in the good room. I imagine his words, always these words, beautiful Adair. We saw a crow drop dead once from the air by chalks. Such happens, anything can die of old age or a broken heart. I imagine his words, always these words, beautiful Adair. Joe's ghost and I loiter. We gawk in through the manor gates. Such happens. Anything can die of old age or a broken heart. Not old, Joe. I can't help wondering, was he broken hearted? Joe's ghost and I loiter. We gawk in through the manor gates. His ghost and I watch tourists snap thatched roof cottages. Not old, Joe. I, can I can't help wondering, was he broken-hearted? We'd meet in a dare, but won't anymore, for Joe has died. His ghost and I watch tourists snap thatched roof cottages. I'd have to imagine the poems he'd quote perfectly from. The second poem I'm going to read is, uh, well, it's an entirely different uh, kind of poem. I suppose it's one of those one of those poems that might become kind of known as a, a risky poem in terms of subject matter. 
Um, but there was a reason why I wrote it. Um, you know that we we in in our culture we do have uh, an obsession, and it has to be considered an unhealthy one. Um, but an, an obsession with uh, kind of achieving a viral moment, um, and the kind of elaborate setups that people go through uh, to achieve this, or to hope that, or they hope uh, to achieve this, it can be um, quite alarming, quite disconcerting, and um, certainly shocking. Uh, shocking to me, anyway. Uh, so this poem was written in response to that. Uh, it's called An Act of Fatherhood. It starts with a beautiful, heartwarming image. A man holds his infant child to his chest, bobs and rocks the child there gently, rhythmically. No one would doubt that this was soothing. The sun is shining and the caretakers have done a wonderful job in getting the park looking so well for the summer months ahead. He is only one of many out with a baby. There are also many with dogs and many sprawled on blankets reading books and many on benches eating packed lunches. When he begins to toss the infant ever so slightly into the air, it appears that it should be less soothing but still no tears come and indicate distress. Soon, as his throes build gradually in force, until his baby is flying several feet up into the air, there is a crowd forming around the scene. He expertly tosses his child higher and higher and, just as expertly, catches it on its way down. He doesn't seem to notice the crowd forming at all, just carries on obliviously in this act of fatherhood. Dozens of mobile phones are held aloft, taking pictures, recording videos, the possibility of something that might go viral on the internet. He could very well be an Olympic gold medalist at the shot put or hammer toss. So impressive is the strength with which he is able to fling his baby towards the sky and then catch it again as gravity sends it hurtling back down. By all appearances, the baby is still soothed, no wails of discomfort or fear leaving its lips, though it must be reaching as high as 20 feet. By this point, it seems everyone in the park has joined the vast circle around him and his baby. When he miscalculates ever so slightly, missing the catch, he looks immediately horrified, devastated. Everyone around has heard the sickening thud of baby hitting concrete, seeing the little bounce before falling still, a mess of small limbs. He kneels down, panic-stricken, tends to the bundle while the crowd watches on, collectively paralyzed, seemingly unable to believe what has happened is real, all the while their hands still in the air and their videos still recording. As red liquid moves slowly outwards from the baby, covering the surrounding concrete, several bodies slump to the ground, losing consciousness, while one woman ejects a stream of projectile vomit into the grass. At this, the infant's father gets back to his feet, turns to face the crowd with a wave and a smile, takes a deep bow, and another, and another, 
and another, the four main compass points. Then he scoops up his blood-soaked child and begins waving its inanimate hand in gratitude towards the audience. I'm going to read something lighter because, well, anything is lighter than that one. Um, so this poem, uh, it's not that much lighter, um, but it's certainly a bit lighter. It's called Leonard Cohen is Dead. And I suppose there was a time uh, where kind of our, our, our big sort of iconic musicians seem to be kind of uh, dropping dead in a kind of... Um, Sort of, sort of pattern, you know, there were candlelight vigils being held around Bruce Springsteen, I think, at one point. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, this poem, Leonard Cohen is Dead, um, is partially about Leonard Cohen, but it's, it's really more about a relationship and the kind of relationships that we form um, with musicians and how those musicians can come to help us uh, in our personal lives. So here it goes, Leonard Cohen is dead. Leonard Cohen is dead, and I have to learn to live in a world he's no longer in. To make matters worse, she won't return my calls. It isn't the first time she hasn't returned my calls, but the last time she didn't, I just put on some Leonard Cohen, and the hours went by, and then eventually she did. Of course, that time was very different to now, because he wasn't dead, and I wasn't adjusting to living in a world he had left. I could send her a text message, and in it, let her know that Leonard Cohen is dead. Maybe she hasn't heard yet. She would surely call then, but maybe she wouldn't call, and then Leonard Cohen would be dead, and she wouldn't be returning my calls, or my text, and it couldn't be because she hasn't yet heard the news of his death. The battery in her phone isn't dead, because the battery in her phone is immortal. The battery in my phone sometimes dies, just like Leonard Cohen has done, but the battery in her phone never does. I know that while she is not returning my calls, and while Leonard Cohen is dead and unable to console me the way he did the last time, the battery in her phone lives. In the end, I decide to call her once more. Again, she doesn't pick up, and Leonard Cohen is still dead. <laughs>